Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Ocean Park Podcast with your host, Liam Lapp. Well, it's all. again everybody welcome back uh, just listening to some of the traveling wilburys here remember uh, when we were kids teenagers this uh, collaboration came together we thought uh, they were old af back then petty was uh, 38 harrison was 45 jeff lynn was 41 and roy orbison was 52 so now i just turned 53 so uh R.I.P. Roy, I get it. Um, it's kind of tough getting old, but I uh, want to give a uh, birthday shout out to, uh, you know, doing some JP patches and shit, uh, looking through the the birthday hourglass and seeing uh, it's Jason's birthday and it's uh, my friend Mike's birthday, uh, both uh, karate buddies, but uh, happy birthday, guys. Uh, speaking of Roy Orbison, I've been thinking about uh, first concerts and some concert memories, so going to get into a story about that next. So enjoy the episode. So in uh, 1980... Uh, I was uh, getting into the music scene. I think I was already interested in music before that, uh, but was starting to get a little bit more focused on who and what was my favorite, uh, who deserved more airtime. I believe I uh, purchased my first Beatles album. Uh, might have been Abbey Road or Sgt. Pepper's. I can't remember which was first, but uh, was kind of listening to music stations as a kid on the radio and enjoying some of the LG 73 hits. But when 1980 came around, uh, I was full-fledged into the Beatles. Uh, that was my first boy band. And my mother at the time uh, you know, could see that uh, music was a thing for me. And um, she purchased two tickets to go see Roy Orbison uh, in a small venue in Calgary, which uh, I didn't know really much about Roy Orbison. It's not like you could Google him in 1980 or have you know access on the internet uh, to his music. So I kind of tagged along as you know an interested, curious participant. When Roy began to sing his catalog of best of, I realized that uh, the Beatles had borrowed quite a bit of Roy's flavor. There was uh, quite a few standout songs and and rhythms that uh, seemed quite Beatles-esque, but uh, 
that's as far as it went. They never they never covered Roy Orbison. At least I don't think uh, they did any of his songs. But um, it was quite an eye opener, and what a voice! Uh, it made me even more of a music fan, uh, especially live music. So it wasn't until a few years more later, it was Dad's turn to step up to the plate. And uh, I asked the former hippie uh, if he'd be interested in seeing the reformed Deep Purple show that was coming to Vancouver in uh, April of 1985. Well, the old man kicked up the cash and uh, we lined up for tickets and we got to go see the Perfect Strangers tour, which was uh, quite a, an eye-opener killer show course they didn't play smoke on the water the cheeky monkeys but um needless to say the show was fantastic they were still excellent musicians and you know brought quite a bit of enthusiasm so as you can imagine the place was uh thick with marijuana uh smoke and uh lots of long-haired uh people kicking around and having a good time so me at the age of uh, 14 was not participating in any of these adult, you know, uh, festivities, but uh, I can understand that, you know, somehow this may have improved their music experience. Since then, you know, I'd uh, seen some other shows in the 80s, saw the Stones, saw Pink Floyd, went with a bunch of high school buddies to the Pink Floyd show, that was something else. Uh, I can't understand, um, you know, why the old hippies would have done any hallucinogenic drugs. They didn't really need it for the Pink Floyd show between the lights and the, the goings-on. But uh, it was still a fantastic production. Got to see the Rolling Stones. Uh, they were just turned uh, into their 50s, and it was... Uh, being commonly joked about is it being the steel wheelchair instead of the steel wheels tour. Now at the time, a ticket, uh, scalper ticket would have ran you about 120 to 150 bucks, which by today's dollars is about 350, $400. So as you can imagine, it was a chunk of change, but the Stones put on quite a show. So well worth the, uh, the time and effort. In the 90s, saw uh, a bunch of shows. Uh, one that sticks out uh, quite a bit for me was uh, went to go see a Halloween concert at the PE. It was uh, Lenny Kravitz, and the show was opened by the young upstarts from Seattle, I think, uh, or at least they were pretending to be from Seattle, uh, Blind Melon. So, again, um, everybody seemed to be into the magic mushrooms and whatnot for some crazy reason. Uh, I think they call it the mad season. Um, that's when mushrooms naturally grow out of the ground in the lower mainland. You know, you can see on the news all the hippies running down the green belt in front of the airport getting chased by the RCMP, uh, tripping out of their minds, having a blast. But... Uh, this was going down at this Lenny Kravitz show, and you could tell everybody was in a mood. People were wearing costumes, you know, Halloween and all, and uh, 
the bands were in, in into it too. So I guess the lead singer, Shannon Hoon, got a little crazy with himself. Um, one of the roadies came out dressed up as the bee chick. The bee chick was on the cover of their album. It was some young lady in a bumblebee outfit. So uh, 35-year-old Harry Roadie in this outfit was uh, a little too much for the lead singer. He got uh, quite aroused. So I don't know what happened, but somehow the lead singer ended up naked on stage, which was ridiculous. Of course, all the girls were howling. And um, he was pretending to chase the bee chick around and finally tackled the bee chick, a.k.a. the roadie. And, uh, you know, pretended to make sweet love, which was ridiculous. But that's where the insanity uh, did not stop. So on to the next song. I believe uh, Shannon Hoon, you know, fully naked still. And I was trying to figure out why somebody hadn't thrown a towel on this boob or what. But uh, I guess he felt the moment was coming that he needed to urinate. And so he did that uh, towards the front row of the stage, which was... uh, Quite ridiculous. Uh, wouldn't recommend um, doing that at any kind of concert if you're a lead singer of a grunge band. But Shannon decided to do his Jim Morrison impression and uh, escape off after the show to the bus and was chased by the local authorities. Uh, ended up on one of the top of the tour buses. I'm not sure if he got caught and charged, but Shannon's no longer with us. He, uh, he passed away. Uh, quite some time ago. R.I.P. Shannon. Uh, I believe it was probably drug-related. So that's a tough go, you know, putting uh, all that pressure on yourself. And these guys, some of these guys just uh, burn out too easy, too fast, too bright. But um, seen quite a number of concerts since. Uh, looking forward to the Rolling Stones this summer. That's going to be quite um, quite the escapade. Uh, I recommend to anybody as a music fan, you know, um, looking back at those times that they've been to concerts, whether they had a good time or a bad time, uh, whether the show was terrible or it was great. I remember walking out of the Neil Young concert at BC Place. Man, what a stinker that was. Uh, but uh, here and there, um, I'd love to hear any feedback or if anybody has any stories they can share some time with me about really funny concert uh, memories, things that stood out for them, any surprise appearances, you know, um, music makes our lives better and uh, a day doesn't go by that I don't enjoy it. In the 1970s, speaking of Halloween, my dad was uh, a team player when it came to Halloween excitement. He liked to uh, make sure that the costume was covered, liked to uh, make sure that the fireworks were available, even the contraband ones. Uh, Bill was definitely ready to party. So... I recall I was about eight years old, would have been about 1970, 79. And uh, Bill shows up in the afternoon, the Halloween uh, afternoon, and he's got a box, uh, like the old model 
boxes made out of cardboard that you can make cars and tanks and figurines. And uh, he handed it to me. And he said, son, you're going to need this tonight. So I open up the box, and in it is about uh, 100, maybe 150 uh, Mexican firecrackers. Just like in the cartoons, red with the big wick. And uh, I knew right away what they were, although I'd never had access before and... Uh, and needed a little bit of an education before I got sent out that evening. But Bill handed me a couple of packs of matches, wooden matches, and said, Son, don't blow up the neighborhood. So out I went. Um, I guess it was uh, not raining that night because I was able to successfully light off most of the the firecrackers. They made them well back then. They, they There weren't many duds. They, uh, they successfully did their flashbang, which, you know, I made sure that, you know, some of the neighbors received that flashbang on the porch in their jack-o'-lantern uh, post my visit. So I'd collect my bounty and then I would uh, um, move along to the next house. But this, this instilled a love of fireworks for me. And every year, you could hear the whistle bang that would happen around the neighborhood. It would usually be early October. Somebody had made a run and uh, bought some contraband fireworks from the First Nations Band in the United States. Uh, the Lummy Band would uh, open up for business. Uh, I'm sure there was places in Vancouver, if you knew where to go, um, I know the Asian community was pretty good about uh, making and selling contraband firecrackers and whatnot, bottle rockets as well. But uh, Lummi made the most sense. It was just across the border. So I, uh, I got my dad to drive myself and, I, and him down to the Lummi, uh, Lummi uh, fireworks stand one October weekend, and uh, Bill busted out a $100 bill <laughs> and said, son, go for it. So then I proceeded to buy bricks upon bricks, firecrackers, bottle rockets, smoke bombs, M80s, you name it, the prime stuff. So I think I spent every penny of it, uh, and then we loaded up two paper bags, like the old Safeway shopping bags, full of these weapons of, uh, of uh, fun, back uh, into the trunk of the 76 Firebird, and we booted it back to the U.S. border. Now, Dad was, uh, he was a cool customer. I don't know if you remember the show, The Fonts, but uh, that was that was Bill. He was uh, definitely uh, cold as ice sometimes, right? And you just never knew where you were coming from. But anyway, he pulls up to the border, and I uh, just remember the guard looking at the two of us. And, you know, Bill used to probably go down for gasoline and cigarettes, uh, and I'm sure he was probably known at that border. 
So the crossing guard or the the customs guard uh, asks Bill, you know, is there uh, what have you been doing? What are you bringing back? How long have you been gone? So Dad just looks at him and says, "We just went down for some gasoline, picked up some Marlboros, taking the boy back to his hockey practice." So the customs guy looks at him, looks at me. Okay. Dad punches it out of the customs booth. I'm sure there was a little bit of rubber left behind. <laughs> that big block 400 just couldn't, it just could not be held back. So off we went burning down the highway and we got to dad's place back in White Rock. And I'm pretty sure for the next two weeks, every day, uh, I was lighting off fireworks. Um, so much that word got around school that I had a bounty of thunder bombs and bottle rockets and M80s. And so I had kids knocking on my door looking to, to buy uh, some firecrackers and stuff. And I just stonewall them. I'd say, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what rumors you've heard. Uh, I don't have anything like that. Because, uh, of course, I was hoarding them to myself and, and for my buddies to enjoy. So some of the stupid things that we used to do with these fireworks is we would go into the back lot behind uh, my house where they were subdividing and there would be these half-constructed houses and holes with con concrete footings and, you know, just a little subdivision in the works. And uh, we treated that like it was our own apocalypse now. We'd set up in the various houses and we had... Uh, bottle rocket launchers and we would shoot them across the cul-de-sac at each other and you know try and wound or maim one of our good friends with a projectile but uh, we we're quite lucky nobody ever received anything more than a firecracker that went prematurely off in their hand or uh, the worst I saw was a bottle rocket fly up somebody's ski jacket, and it was a dud. So fortunately, it didn't uh, blow up, but man, that was a tense few seconds. Um, I think that's about the time that we realized uh, we should probably cool it and maybe uh, point these projectiles at uh, some inanimate objects instead of uh, friends. But it was a blast, uh, and as soon as Halloween would come around... Go down to Crescent Beach, fire uh, rockets at uh, at the Hungarian goulash restaurant. Yeah, I remember Zoltan Zukeli, his family he, uh, owned that place. Uh, I think Zoltan might have been an okay guy, but you know he he, he suffered quite a bit of uh, abuse over the years, and he was a bit of a mouthpiece, so he'd give it back. But uh, it was a Halloween tradition to go by there and bounce some. Uh, Roman candle balls off the awning at uh, the Hungarian goulash. You know, a Zoli, Zordan, who would be yelling up at the at the window and, you know, giving them some uh, minor harassment. But uh, he's a good sport. You know, he uh, I'm, I'm sure that he just wanted to join the gang outside and not uh, hang out with his family inside, but who knows. Then we'd head off to the corner store and load up on more fireworks. And, uh, you know, by the evening's end, we'd be uh, kind of sick of the, uh, the whole deal and uh, kind of light off the last of the booty. 
you know, in one one big bang if you if you could. But those are pretty sweet memories. Um, I don't know who bought the burning schoolhouse or those stupid uh, snakes. Man, what a joke those fireworks were. <laughs> Who's the clown that, uh, you know, sold those for five bucks each or whatever, and they were basically would just fizzle and do, buzz, do, do bugger all. But, uh, you know, uh, I guess they were a big seller for pyromaniacs. A burning schoolhouse, but um, I look back fondly on those times, Crescent Park, Ocean Park, Crescent Beach, and uh, you know, run and gun fireworks. It was uh, it was a blast. Kids today probably don't get to have that same excitement, but um, I still think about it today and think back fondly. We're going to the end of the line. Ashamed of the car I drive. I'm just glad to be here, happy to feel that. Thank you for joining me again for two fond uh, episodes of memories. Um, I think I've uh, figured out how to get this going through the phone now, so I think I'm going to uh, elicit uh, a co person on maybe the next episode to talk about some memories from high school, Semiamu, Crescent Park, you know, the uh, general fun and frivolity of it all. Um, I'm going to maybe tap a shoulder here to come on the show, which uh, should make it a little bit more interesting. So hope you guys all uh, are enjoying hopefully the last of the winter been kitted pretty excellent weather and uh are getting ready for a good 2024 year of the dragon okay everybody take good care <laughs>